from a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Today I am going to talk to a number of guests from Speakeasy, which is a event that happens uh, fairly frequently in Columbus, Ohio, and my guests today are Jillian Coran. Hi. Barbara Allen. Hi. Carl Betcher. Hello. Pam Cummings. Hi. And Sarah Fulmer. Hi. So they are all people who have spoken at one time or another on the stage at Speakeasy, such as Jillian, who is the one of the co-founders, I believe, of Speakeasy, right? Yes. That is correct. Myself and Mr. Ryan Hoke, who we all love and adore. Um, we've been running the event for five years, and it was actually handed to us. We adopted it from Storytellers of Central Ohio, so we want to give them credit for bringing the idea to us. And then they wanted a newer, fresher audience. They came to Wild Goose Creative, which we all love. It's our home for our arts event, as well as many others in Columbus. And so, like I said, it's been magic ever since. We've been running the event for about five years. Jillian, I'd like to play an excerpt from one of your intros at Speakeasy. All right? So I'll go ahead and do that. Hi. Happy July. All right. Welcome to Speakeasy. How's everybody doing? Good, yeah? Hi. Happy October. Happy May to everybody. This is Speakeasy February. Um, you could do better than that. Welcome to Speakeasy February. Thank you. Happy January. Happy New Year. Hi. Hey. Happy December. Hello. August. I couldn't find 12 full months of intros, but my favorite one is the January because everyone's hungover and tired. Our event was literally January 1st oh, no. <laughs> this year, and then the whole audience was just tired. Just sleepy, sleepy. is the phrase. Working on their New Year's resolution. Yeah. Right. Sleepy and confused. So uh, you've also got a uh, segment here in which you're going to explain the speakeasy rules. Yes. there are rules for speakeasy. People go in, they get to tell <laughs> their stories, but Jillian sets down all the rules. So here are, for your listening entertainment, a minute 24 of Jillian's rules. The only rules of the night are it's a true story told live, and we need you to stay under 10 minutes so everybody gets you know, their uh, perfect allotted amount of time on stage. It's the perfect amount of time for an audience's ears, and everybody has a happy night. So stay under 10 minutes. We have a light. We haven't had to use it for a while. Don't make me bring it out again, because it's extremely awkward and passive aggressive. <laughs> so we're cool, right? Everyone's got that 10 minutes. And we prefer for you not to read from paper, because it cuts off that intimacy between you and the audience. So notes are OK, as I have notes here. But um, those are the only rules. So thank you for coming. And uh, we're going to start the show now with our first teller. You've got um, an allotted amount of time. You've got 10 minutes and people uh, to come up and tell their stories live, right? That's right. We open our doors around 6, 630. Um, we have somebody who sits at the the um, the doorway and takes the first 10 tellers who come to the door. They sign up on a piece of paper. Sometimes we take more. Um, we've taken up to 16 people, although that makes the event go to about 10 o'clock. Um, the ideal, our ideal 
um, show would be give them a lot, but leave them wanting more. So 10 is that perfect number. Um, and then we, we have some old friends who come to each of the events and tell. Sarah is a, is a teller and Barbara and, of course, Pam and, and Carl. All of us are familiar with the stage. So I like to have these these friends of Speakeasy come because I know their style, their storytelling style, and I know where to place them in the order of the night. Again, we have no idea who's going to walk through that door, so I have no idea what the stories are going to be. We have a loose theme each night, and um, that's all I have to gauge the night on. Okay. So um, having seen some familiar faces, I had the idea that people must be lining up. Uh, what time do they start lining up? Uh, if you have people like uh, Barbara and Sarah that have been on many times, are they there two days ahead of time with sleeping bags? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. We actually, we actually do. live right outside. Right around the corner. Okay. There is a bar across the street, so they stay well hydrated. Um, we actually have requests, uh, email requests that come in before every event, people who are new and um, want to get some stage time, and so they – they email to make sure that they, they can. And um, usually I've always been surprised by those people more times than none. It's an exceptional teller. We're glad to have them. We want them to come back. So um, usually people do start flowing in around 630, 645. And it, it's never it, it's never an issue. Um, usually we just cap it at 10. When we have our 10, we have a reserve list. And we tell people if we could get you on at the end, we do. Okay. Well, let's go then into Barbara Allen. Hello, Barbara Allen. Hi, Doug. Who has been on craft three times now? Four? Yeah. It's, it, this it's is what fun. you get, ladies and gentlemen, when you live <laughs> either right outside Speakeasy or WCBE. I've just been stalking Doug. It's inappropriate. Yeah, but... That is sad. Yeah. <clears throat> and speaking of stalking, let's go into <laughs> your first oh. segment in which I believe you actually use the word stalking here. Oh, loosely, so, Doug. Yeah, loosely. loosely. <laughs> so so here way. is uh, Barbara Allen on stage telling one of her stories. Uh, so we went to Caribou Coffee. Side note, that's gone now and brand new. It's Aladdin's. But to me, it was kind of a man lair. This is where I went to trap men. Uh, because a lot of med students used to study there. And once you go to a girls' school, you think you need a med student. You think you need a doctor. So I take him there, he says, I mean, I'm like a spider to his prey, come in. We sit down, and let's have an intellectual date, we'll play Scrabble, ooh. It's a sophisticated Melrose place date. Um, so we start playing Scrabble, and he spells the word pawn from chess. And he spells it, I know you're going to hate this, guys, P-O-N. And I said, what is, what is that? He said, like in chess. I said, uh, it's P-A-W-A. And, because I'm thinking of my expensive girls' school training, and he said, this is my favorite, he said, you're a stickler. <laughs> I was like, I am so disappointed in my life. I have this image of flipping the table all the tiles and, but I'm still on the stage. I'm still there. And he says, um, this was his line at the door. We're making that decision. Do we part ways? And he said, would you like to come back to my house and see what's on my iPod? <laughs> and I declined. I think it was a good choice. 
about this uh, story of yours. You're talking about dating. You're talking about meeting people. What uh, got you to think this is a story that I want to tell as many people as I can? Because <laughs> uh, it's a true painful story. Um, but it has. I think it has some moments that uh, most of us can... Um, relate to. Uh, you know, I was single for a long time and uh, had a bunch of friends would say, you're going to meet somebody. And I did all these terrible dating sites, uh, as well as, you know, friends would fix me up with somebody that they didn't want to date, which I seemed, seemed odd to me that another single person would be offering updates that they weren't taking. <laughs> but, you know, so, so I thought it was, um, I mean, it was at the time it was, it, it seemed less painful, but hearing it back, it, there's some wounds and scars, but um, that's <laughs> why so I don't go to Aladdin's and no, I'm kidding. It's a great place. Go there. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think there's some real truth to it. Like Jillian said, the true stories told live and stories that have a piece of humanity and who hasn't been on a terrible date with a bad speller? I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's the bad speller part that I really like the, uh, <laughs> So when you are going to tell a story like that, what kind of boundaries do you set for yourself? Do you say, this was out there, this is a perfectly reasonable uh, person to mock? Uh, or I don't know that I'm mocking. I'm just, just reporting, reporting the, the truth. <laughs> reporting the truth, Doug. I'm just a truth okay. teller. Um, I did not use this person's name. Uh, Although if they're a listener... Don't yeah. call me. Uh, it was uh, right. It was wrong. Right there was a spell. No, I think um, um, for me it was just a recounting of my own life. So um, I'm sure that in telling the truth, I've told it through my own lens. And so uh, while the the facts are true, perhaps the uh, the memory of it uh, is 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 how I see it. But um, you know, I do like Scrabble still. Believe it or not. So okay. And we have one other segment here in which you meet your husband. Oh, you meet someone. A happy ending. <laughs> a happy ending to this story, <laughs> yes. at which uh, doesn't doesn't necessarily start out as a happy ending, right. but becomes that happy right. ending as we go along. So let's listen to that okay. really quick. And so I'm back at Carib Coffee, and I'm sitting there watching some of the regulars do the New York Times crossword and drink their coffee and read magazines, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm sitting there, and I look up. And there was my husband. Now, no one knew that my husband was wearing khakis, uh, pleated khakis, and a khaki shirt, and black high tops. I thought he was on a break from the zoo. <laughs> and, um, but he seemed nice. And this is so cheesy, but I'll tell you the truth. Uh, in years past, I've had this Every year, my girlfriends and I would define what the year was going to be. Like, we'd have the year of the best possible me. Very Oprah inspired. Uh, the year of the boy toy. Gotten some trouble down in uh, the brewery district. And, but this year, I was like, I'm going to put in my wallet all the qualities that I want in a man. I'm not taking a motorcycle man. I want someone who's kind and funny and interesting and usually as you remember from earlier in the story my first words were more cake so I was a talkative young person and I talk a lot a lot and I'm speechless I was taken by this this man and so I do believe in love at first sight and I think it's one of those things where you remember that 
You plan your whole life of how you think it's going to go, and you're disappointed at times when things don't work out. And sometimes when the world is in front of you and you turn your head in a new direction, your whole world begins. And it did for me. And mom, you don't love this part. We like moved in the next day. What? And your mom was sitting right there in the audience. Oops. So yeah, your mom was sitting there. Uh, yeah. In the and, and what sort of response did she have after this true story told live? Um, nothing, because she loves my husband too. So nothing, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm an only child, so there's a lot of conversations we haven't had uh, that I'm still waiting for. So, um, but you know, but we're we're good, <laughs> probably now. What was your now? Your husband is uh, Kevin Cordy, who's yes. also a storyteller. He is. He is. Do, is this something that you two get to talk about, um, like the structure of storytelling, how to tell a story, what details to put into a story? Well, sure. He tells me because that's his his profession. Um, no, but yeah, we definitely talk about story and um, you know capturing and who's who's who has the right to tell a story and and sort of the. Uh, you know the essence behind it or uh the message and so um yeah i learned a lot from kevin and his travels with story what's, what's the best piece of advice he's given you about being a storyteller and being on stage <laughs> don't go over the time limit i know i did <laughs> he's like he's like real storytellers would not appreciate that yes i am um so yeah so follow the structure which i know i didn't um no, just to, I think to really, uh, everyone has a story to tell. And um, that's why I love the speakeasy and I love the energy of Jillian. I'm going to gush all about her because I love the, the, the authenticity and the kindness she brings to the event. So everybody is a storyteller. And I, I think that mirrors what Kevin always says. And, and I believe everyone has something to share. So when someone connects to that, you can even hear it. And, you know, I mean, even hearing myself talk about my husband, I want to throw up because it sounds so cute. Um, but, you know, you hear the authenticity of it. So everybody has that place. Okay. How many times have you spoken, do you know, uh, at, at Speakeasy? Only a few times. I was I was really blessed to speak at the Big Easy. Um, I hope to speak more. And we've, we've done some partnership with the Speakeasy at uh, our improv group at Columbus Unscripted. Have them speak and then do improv off of their stories. So it's, it's a great... Yeah, great Sarah event. and I have been a part of that. It's, it's just it's terrific. It's a it's wild fun. time, right? Yeah, it's a good time. They take bits <laughs> and parts of our 10-minute stories that we tell and they, they improv based on it. And... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I ask because um, I'm curious about how you feel about it getting better or easier over time. And that's sort of a question for all of you. After the first time that you've done this, when you reflect on it, what makes it easier the second time? Well, I think the audience makes it easy because people are there. They're leaned in. They've got an active, um, engaged audience that wants you to succeed and wants to hear your story. So it's a very safe and encouraging environment. So for me, that's you already know things are going to be great just going in there. So I love that about it. Uh, so that makes it safe every time.
every time. So I'd encourage anybody, storyteller or not, to cut. You are a storyteller. Come out. And it, we do have the gracious, most gracious audience of any yes. any place I've ever seen. Yes. You don't see texting. You don't hear a side talk. No. You don't hear. No one's distracted. They come with the intention of listening. And because it's not like a bar where you yeah. have like a open mic and you have to fight over people having conversations or having drinks, everyone yeah. there is there for that reason only. That's and hilarious. so they really are leaned in like completely. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, jump over to uh, Carl now and hear about Carl's adventures in storytelling. So hello, Carl. Hello again. Again. <laughs> So, Carl, you uh, have a segment here that's about your son's bedtime. Yes. So how about we hear that, and then you can explain it uh, maybe a little bit more and tell us about uh, <laughs> in which... It may have changed since it then. It may have changed. <laughs> have updated it. So, so here, here's the story about the bedtime. sleep a lot lately because I hang out with my son, who just turned five, Max, every night, and I'm very much a part of his sleep thing, and his sleep thing takes as much as three hours sometimes. And so I think about how sleep isn't happening, I guess, as much as I think about the actual sleeping. For Max, uh, the ritual is simple. You know, we all head upstairs together, and our family... Um, why send one parent when you can waste both of their times? Um, that's just how we do, and we've always done everything together. And so we all go up, and uh, I sit in a chair, and uh, my wife Jessie, there she is, um, will read to him, and then she sings, and I kind of sing back up with the duas and things like that. And, uh, and then she leaves, the lights go out, and then in theory he would go immediately to sleep, and I'll be there for like five minutes, and move on with my evening. But instead, there's all kinds of shenanigans. Um, people, you might remember it from being young, or if you're children, like, like, he has to get a tiny sip of water, like 3,000 times, or then he has to pee for some reason. Uh, and the other thing he's been doing lately is we, we build him like a loft bed. He'll push all the blankets off the loft bed, and then I have to give them back to him one at a time in a random order to be designated on the night. How is this uh, going for you? This yeah, uh, is yeah. this something that's changed? I mean, it only took two hours last night, so you okay. know we're making progress. Uh, we don't do the blankets anymore because uh, I just had to draw a line somewhere. I might be a chump, but not a total chump. Um, so uh, no, I we've added something now. We we watch a YouTube video together. Generally, uh, there's a channel called Grand Illusions. Uh, check that out. Uh, and uh, it's just about vintage toys and things. So we watch some of those together, and then he'll go up to bed. But there's still he'll want to talk about stuff, and I enjoy having the opportunity to talk to him. But it's always like, okay, I'm going to answer like one question, and then really I'm just going to not talk to you because you got to go to sleep. But we, we're like psychic security. Like I have to be there until he's unconscious because – Something might invade his dreams or something. I don't know if he like watched a horror movie when I wasn't looking or something, but uh, that's sort of my function in the evening. Okay. So tell me about your where your your wife was in the audience, uh -huh. and she's backing you up and saying, "Yes, this is how everything happened yes. to a T." And uh, did you talk to her about it before you went on stage? Yeah, I Jesse. Um, Jesse, I call her my director because she's a theater person, and uh, I break every story ever. I'm going to tell every sermon I'm ever going to preach to her before I do it. So she hears everything first. Yeah. She's the boss. Yeah. Okay. 
So did, has she told you, um, I like this story, but I don't want you to tell it? Uh, she uh, has never touched the content of any story I've ever wanted to tell. Only like that part is stupid. Or <laughs> like, which isn't touching. It, the it would be better if you flipped it like this. Like, only only in delivery stuff. She's never had a problem or 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 censored me in any way. Okay, has your your son heard this? So, uh, um, you know, I was gonna play him a clip. I was like, oh, there's these clips that we're gonna do this radio thing. Uh, you want to hear the one about you? And he's like, yeah. And just this is the only one time Jesse was like, no. Because uh, she was thinking he might not like the part where I said that it was a waste of our time, which I, I, I regret and retract publicly here in this studio. It's not a waste of time. You're listening to The Craft Special with my guest from Speakeasy Columbus. We'll be back in a moment. your emotional state uh, before you went on stage for the first time for Speakeasy? Um, so I like to crack wise and uh, have a, a long history of trying to get as many people's attention as possible. Generally, uh, if there's like an event, I feel safest at the front of the room. So, um, And I've been doing Wild Goose stuff for years before Speakeasy, Speakeasy even existed. So it was just another opportunity to get up there and, and take a swing and see if it was good. One thing I tell people all the time is I never know if it's going to be any good. I don't even know if it's any good when I finish talking. Like later people tell me if it was good or not because I just go for it and hope for the best. So do you don't have any kind of um, prepared portion of it or a script or because as Jillian said, they, they discourage the use of scripts, but do you practice ahead of time? How do so you if get I'm doing like, like I've done, I, I've been blessed to do the big easy two times now how about that um and uh for big easy i prepare in advance um i i make an outline and sort of pseudo memorize it and and talk it through for a regular big easy or excuse me regular speakeasy um i i'll generally ask what the theme is when i get there and then decide if i want to tell something and then while people are talking like i'll kind of think through a little bit of what i want to say and then try desperately to find some kind of ending which is a struggle for me but yeah. What do you mean it's a, a struggle for the ending? I mean, I'm the kind of person that tells a story and I'm, um, I think the technical word for it is telocentric. I like the end of that story because when I write a story, that's what I have in mind. The first thing I'm like, okay, it's going to end X. And I know that's a little OCD or, um, it's against a lot of, uh, a lot of advice for storytelling, but I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea that that's the hardest part. Yeah. No. Um, so these guys, People who have heard me tell before know that a lot of my stories are not technically stories so much as a, a loose collage of things that I have thought or have happened to me. And so because it is sort of this uh, amalgam of nonsense, 
there it's always like and then what happens i just kind of walk away at the end but the audience roars oh, you yes. know they love it you're like it's... the pollock of storytelling yeah man <laughs> uh is that pollock what's that yeah no sydney pollock was yeah, yeah, yeah jackson jackson pollock uh so yeah no uh so it's it's because it tends to be more uh, i think pastiche is a word it may even apply in this case you can edit that out um it's harder for me to know how to bring it all together i know the theme provides a sort of a magnet for the kinds of things I want to talk about, but but the structure in the end is where I don't know where it's going to go. Uh, that's a really interesting take because it seems like if you're writing a story, um, that's fine, but you're on the stage and um, that could be I'm a little nerve wracking for some people. That's not been a problem for you where you just go, ah, and then the bed fell over and we left. Right. Yeah. No, I, um, for whatever reason, I'm sort of congenitally unafraid of people, uh, even speaking to them. Um, Are so, you afraid now? <laughs> I mean, it's getting uglier. There's no no question about that. Uh, so, it just never. It's never been. Uh, I'm always willing to get up and give it a give it a try. You know, worst case scenario, walk away. You know. Yeah, he's also kind of like a wild card for us because there have been events like when Radiolab comes to town, our audience goes to that event so it's like crickets <laughs> and you know carl will be like hey do you need someone to fill in the spot i'm like yes and so you know we're just happy he gets up there and does his thing what was your most memorable moment on stage uh having told a story is there a particular one that stands out where you you say this is was the highlight of my time on there well i think the most memorable story and of course it's a recent memory right now but it's also a unique story to be able to tell was I was recently able to tell a story about my friend Matthias who um, uh, had a brain aneurysm was near to death and then miraculously came back and because that was an actual like a story um, it, it was so close to my heart uh, I was able to privileged to be able to share that with people and I feel like they got my heart in that story and that um, and that we were connected in that way and in that moment and sharing that together. So that was a particularly memorable piece to be able to share just recently. Well, thank you, Carl. That That's great. And so, Pam, yes. what a great segue, right? Uh, the segue of no segue at all. Pam, um, your story is about a slow night in Nantucket. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. It's hard to believe that Nantucket can have a slow night. Uh, but we are going to explore that with you. And here is a segment from your story. So we packed our bags. Now, I was really happy with myself on this trip because Vermont, even in May, can be dicey. You can have like a lovely day, and then the next day it can be freezing cold and you can have snow. So at the time, and this was probably about 20 years ago, um, there was this clothing line, and it's still here now, but it was really hot at one time called Starter, and it was casual sportswear, but it was expensive. And I had seen this perfectly weighted um, navy blue sweatshirt with a gray collar. It was Starter. I wanted it. It was full price. So I'm going to pay it. And just before I left on the trip, I went to Kohl's, and there was this exact sweatshirt, the only one in my size, on the rack, and it cost me four I snatched it up, I wore it religiously, so I had that on that day, we went out to the Cape, and we're lugging our luggage off of the uh, ferry when we get over, and we're tromping down the street, we go by this tavern called the Rose and Crown, 
and it was a Thursday night, and they had karaoke. And I'm like, oh yeah, we gotta come back. This is where we gotta go tonight. We gotta do karaoke. I love karaoke. I love seeing people sing. I love getting up. I love the drinking and just the camaraderie. And as the night goes on, everyone sounds good. And so I went up and I put my name in the the thing to sing, and I tried to talk my sister into singing, which is like, I'm not doing that. So I thought it would be a while, and right off the bat, they called my name. So I go trotting up there, and usually when I start out karaoke sober, um, I'll start out with like Amy Lennox or Patsy Cline. So I started out with Patsy Cline's Crazy. And I sang Crazy, and I got down, and they're like, yes, we want you to sing again. And I'm like, oh, slow night, and then tuck it. And, uh, so tell me about the slow night in Nantucket story when you started to decide this is the story I'm going to tell. How did it structure your structure it in your mind? Are you, were you like Carl where you said, I'm going to get up there, I'm going to have loose notes and go for it? Or did you have a, a, a more of a structure? I have loose notes. What I do is put, I call them benchmarks. So I will think of the story, think of the points that I want to make sure I hit because I think they're funny or enjoyable or people can relate to them. Sometimes I'm wrong, but that's okay. So I just structure it that way and I try to keep myself mindful that I don't um, go overboard and I don't get, because I have a tendency to go out on a limb and digress from the point. So I structure it, the benchmarks, I kind of run it through my head and then I'm like, okay, let's go. It's the truth. So it is what it is. Do you have somebody to that you're thinking, that you ask about, the stories before you do it like carl says he he performs it for his wife or something is there anybody that works as a filter oh, for oh you oh yeah bob and henry they're my cats okay <laughs> they love everything i do that is that is so great that it they're is, supportive they want to be fed right <laughs> yeah no <laughs> i don't have a human <laughs> What is your background in, in storytelling? When did you get started on this, and how long have you been telling stories like this, on stage or off? Oh, I've been telling stories since I was three, because I'm from a large family, and you had to... Um, who broke the vase? I don't know. I think I was walking through... Well, those weren't true stories. Those were lies. <laughs> but it made me very uh, adept at telling true stories. But I actually was in theater and was always outgoing growing up and everything and then I kind of went away for a while and then I heard about speakeasy and the first time I went I think was in 2012 Ryan was the host and I just walked in because a friend told me about it no no intention of telling and the theme was weddings and I had the best story as a wedding teller so I signed up and when he called my name I'm like yes and he goes well she's enthusiastic but it's just fun it's just fun. What was the story about the wedding? You've, you've piqued my curiosity oh, here. It was about a young couple that um, she had gotten pregnant before the vows, and they were very, very young. And Immediately imme before the it, They timed it really well. No, actually, you had to, he didn't want to get married, and the parents were both very religious, and they wanted to get married. And he said the only way he'd go through a wedding, um, he would get married, and then there was like, well, you have to have a church wedding. And she's eight months pregnant, as big as a house, dressed in white, a big white house. And um, he got to be in the wedding because he said, I'll do this if I get to pick the song. <laughs> 
he did. And uh, when he picked it, the organist looked at me and she goes, you know, you don't have to sing this. I go, oh, yes, I do. He picked it because I thought it was crazy they were getting married. And it was actually a, a religious song about um, Jesus hanging on the cross and he could have called 10,000 angels to set him free. He didn't get set free that day, but he was a few months after the birth of the child. <laughs> well, well uh, that's, uh, I guess, going to show that not all the stories end happily at uh, uh, So You asked. Yes, I did ask. And that's, it's a true, true life story. I, I like that. So what made you decide um, then to tell about the slow night in Nantucket? You had some, after the... Wedding one, you thought uh, this is another one that you wanted to tell. I had not ever told that story, and I and so and I liked that story, and I told friends that story, and I just thought it was a funny story because of how I got my sweatshirt back, um, and that probably wasn't the first time that I've misrepresented myself to someone and being in a certain position in life that I wasn't. But I'm not always the end justifies the means, but I really need that sweatshirt back. It was $4. And you wanted to sing. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to sing. So it was a perfect combination. Thank you. Because I wanted to sing uh, Patsy Cline's Crazy, and so that kind of helped wrap it up at the end. And it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. What other uh, kinds of stories have you considered telling at this? Uh, are there ones that you have set aside for the future because you still want to work on them and get them into the right place? Or are there ones that you, you're just much more spontaneous about it? I'm usually spontaneous, according to the theme. I have told serious stories. Um, and... Uh, I think it's just that they're true, and it's not because it's me telling it or it's my experience. It's that it's kind of like what Barbara said. True stories, there's something in every story that can touch someone and go, wow, I had that experience, or I knew someone. So they, you can relate to the audience, and the audience is, they are leaning in, because it's not getting up there to entertain them. It's to share a moment. It's to share. And that's kind of something that I think we miss with all of our emails and all that, mm -hmm. like that one-on-one -on -one sharing. Only, like, sometimes it's one-on-seventy or <laughs> one-on-three-hundred, but it's intimate. What makes it intimate for you? I mean, a lot of people have the sense that that's going to be a very frightening thing. I mean, one of the top two most frightening things for most people, I think, is public speaking is one. Um, and uh, what makes a lot of people, you know, have described like a small club, 300 people is intimate, right? As opposed to sort of a, like a stadium or something. But I've often thought, well, 300 people is not terribly intimate, right? Right. But How I think it... it depends because of the nature of our audience. So at the Big Easy, when I, I kept myself busy moving chairs because that kind of dispersed the nervous energy. I wasn't nervous. I was eager to tell. And when I went up and hugged Jillian and I just felt all that positive energy or whatever people want to label it, and you turn and everyone is just sitting there waiting to breathe in your story and send it back to you. And that's how I get my energy. And I just love that sharing feeling. And that's why I love it when other people get up, like Barbara or Sarah or Carl or new people or Jillian, because it's that sharing. It's reciprocal. It's much better than my cats. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's a spirit around the event, and we always talk about that. It's undeniable. You can feel it, and it captures everybody who attends the event and participates in the event. And so that spirit just drives. It's a driving force. It's, 
I don't know, it's kind of magical. You have to, con- you were at the Big Easy, weren't you, Doug? Um, it's just kind of magical. You have to experience it. But it's even better in the Wild Goose space because it's smaller and the audience is a little bit smaller. Um, we've packed that house. I mean, we've had almost 100 people in that small space. Anyone who's been in Wild Goose knows that that's tight. Oh, is this the part where I'm supposed to say, I knew you were in the audience and I was specifically looking at you when I was right. telling my story? Yes. yes, that's what I did. Yeah. Okay. Do you lock <laughs> eyes with people? I am curious about that. I mean, there, there's Some. an old adage uh, for teachers, right, that you... I've heard this adage at it and didn't didn't actually do it when I was way back when I was teaching. You teach to three students in the class. Sometimes people will say that, right? The one in the back who's not paying attention, the one in the front who's overly eager, and the one in the middle. Or you teach to one student. How do you find yourself just glazing over the crowd or you find people that look really inviting to you? Sometimes I do glaze over the crowd and other times somebody's laugh will catch my attention and I acknowledge them or the people that I know, you know, the regulars. Um, I don't really go up there with the intention of how am I going to present myself to you? It's like, oh, here's a story. I'm eager to share this because I think this is funny or serious or um, I just want to be up in front of people talking. Right. That's part of the truth, too. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, for all of you, uh, this is uh, sort of a generalized question, but, I mean, it sounds like uh, you're uh, extroverts. Or are you intro- extroverts for that night? I'm an extrovert. And, and Carl, you seem like you've you've pretty clearly defined as an extrovert. I seem like that, don't I? Okay. I'm totally not at all an extrovert. I I, okay. I refuel by by spending time by myself. But there is something that happens when you're in front of people and you're talking because it is it's more like sharing and there's a, a certain vulnerability that happens and it's it's kind of lovely to to see you skip over all of the crappy small talk that people usually engage in about the weather and the sports and all the dumb things and you just latch right into when you told me that story about. The thirteen-year-old smoking at the trailer, or you know, whatever thing. When I still think of Carl told the story one time on stage about when he was a little kid wandering into the woods with a with a pointy stick, and I laughed so hard because I did that as a kid. I always had a pointy stick. Why do you need a pointy stick to go to the woods? You just do, <laughs> you know, and you can relate to that. You're listening to the Craft Special with my guests from Speakeasy Columbus. We'll be back in a moment. Now let's turn to a story excerpt from Sarah Fulmer. Okay, 
And it turns out my son is gay. It's not going to surprise me. Although it could just be that he really likes looking fabulous. And that's not a gender-specific thing. That's just being awesome. So, you know, I, I figured, okay, this is the case. He'll come to me at some point and tell me. So flash forward to his 12, I find out. Um, but he tells me, I didn't tell my dad, so we're divorced. We've been divorced for quite some time, but I was two when we got divorced. And uh, it feels like this weird burden, like, I want you to be out, and I want you to be exactly who you are, and I want you to be fantastic. But I kind of also want your dad to know, because at this point, um, Miles was out in every other regard. So he would wear like his skin-tight purple pants and his like t-shirt with nine princesses on it and his hot pink scarf that he did go like this with it <laughs> a lot. Um, and at one, there was an uncomfortable moment where I was like, how can his father not know? How can he not know? And I thought, well, maybe he's just waiting for him to tell him. I thought, it should be obvious when we're standing at the seventh grade art show and there's our son's collage and there's a microphone, and there's all these other symbols and things that he loved to sing, and things that were important to him. And down in the corner, it's like the scene from the Aristocats, and he had penciled in, gay ships are yay ships. How <laughs> <laughs> is this not obvious? <laughs> So tell me about that uh, that story. That's uh, obviously something that's really close to your heart and something that I think you probably thought a lot about before you went on stage. I, I did, and I actually I kind of labored over Normally when I tell a story, I, my anchor is I know the beginning, I know the, the middle, and I know the ending, and I just talk to the audience and relax into it. But for this, it was 300 people that we were expecting, 300, 350 people. It was a lot of people. It was my second time at the Big Easy, and I... This was a huge, a bigger crowd, and I was more involved in the planning of it. And also, it wasn't totally just my story. Like, mm -hmm. before, tell the story, it's about myself, and, you know, I can poke fun at myself. But, you know, my son is a, t a young teenage boy, and I was really nervous about, like, is it okay for me to talk about the mm -hmm. experience of parenting you as a gay teenager? And <laughs> I really wish I had recorded the conversations that we had, because he thought that was hilarious. Like, he... He was like, Mom, it's not like I said. And I, at one point I said, tell me what it's like to be a gay teen. And he goes, Mom, it's not like I go around and I'm like, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay. <laughs> like, you know, like I don't that I don't understand why it's even a big deal. And it occurred to me that we grew up and he's growing up in a community where there are so many people around him that accept him exactly as he is, mm. that he doesn't understand that there are places in the world that don't. And I, and so to tell the story also meant to become vulnerable in a way that it was almost painful. And so I, I labored, I, I wrote down, you know, on post-it notes and, and then I tried to like cram it as far down as I could so that I could remember it all and, and do it honor and justice and not just, I didn't want to exploit him, but I also want to normalize the fact that there are kids that are gay and they're perfectly lovely and normal teenagers. And that, if no one ever says that out loud, we don't know that's a thing as a society. And so we act like gay people just sprout when they're adults. <laughs> and that's not how that goes. And and also I had people at, like somebody at work once said to me, you know, you're so lucky. Your son is so lucky to have you as a mom. And I'm like, well, but yeah, yes, he is. But <laughs> not, you know, it's 
anybody would adore him. He is a straight-A student. He's a fantastic piano player. He's an artist. He's hilarious. He does ridiculous dances all over the house. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's divine and fantastic. And, and I, it, it bothers me that there would be people in the world who would prefer to see that he's gay and that's all they can mm -hmm. see and not see him as a human being. And unless mm -hmm. we're willing to have the conversation, it never gets normalized. So it was, for me, kind of a huge risk, and I was really nervous to talk about it, but I'm glad that I did. And I got a lot of great feedback afterwards, mm -hmm. from especially from the gay men in the audience who mm -hmm. came up to me, like tearfully came up to me and were like, I please have this conversation somewhere. No one's talking about this. And I wish that my mom or my parents or somebody in my world had been encouraging. And to me, he's just my kid, mm -hmm. you know? That segues into her second clip because you do explain how... You had talked to um, several gay men in the community, and their experience was quite different. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was interesting. It was really interesting for me to find out just the feedback. Like, I was nervous. I was nervous because it wasn't my story, but it. But it is. That's the other thing. Is it totally does affect me? Like, it's. It, I don't know anybody else who's parenting a out kid when they were twelve years old. Like, I don't mm -hmm. have anybody yeah. to talk to about that. Mm -hmm. But the. You know, mommy blogs, everyone's talking about, like, down to the infinite detail about diapers and feedings. But then there's this, like, adolescent period where we just sort of drop off and stop talking about it. I talked to a lot of gay men and, and to get their, their and take on it. What I learned was, depending on your generation, this time for you may have been fraught with all kinds of hazard. A lot of the gay men that I knew didn't come out until they were a lot older because times were different and they couldn't. It's not something that they would have discussed with their parents. So I decided it's not my business to tell his, his story for him to his father if he's not ready to tell his dad. I will encourage him to keep doing it because I don't want him to be in the closet because there doesn't need to be a closet. That closet should be full of fabulous things but not lies and secrets because you don't need to do that. So finally, um, he did. He came out to his dad happened to coincide with last year's Pride Festival, which gave me the in that I needed to say to my adorable teen son, do you want to go to Pride with your mom? <laughs> so we went to Pride together, and we were walking up the street, and he was amazed that there were so many people that had come out for this. And he was like, is everybody here gay? <laughs> A lot of them are, but many of them are just here in support. And at one point, I looked over, and my adorable son, with his little freckles across his nose, waving the shit out of his gay flag. <laughs> just every be yourself bracelet that comes running at us, he's picking it up. He's scooping up condoms, and I'm like, don't even, I mean, please use them, I just don't need them now. and tell your friends that how to get them free and I'll give you so much information but please don't need them now. <laughs> um, and then at the end of the parade uh, Mina West came and we had had this lovely discussion on the side and I see her leaving. She looks down and she points to me and I point to my son and I'm like, this is the proudest mom and she's like, oh my god! Like, like pointing at me and Miles is like, did you know her? <laughs> Yes, my child. <laughs> the 
in gay royalty. And at the end of the parade, there's this huge flag that goes up the street, and I grab my son by the hand, and we grab the back end of that flag, and we marched it all the way up to its stop, with just tears pouring down my face. The thing about this parade is everybody that's there is so happy, like so happy. So many people smiling, so many short shorts. <laughs> The closet should be full of fabulous things, but not lies and secrets. That was a spontaneous line you hadn't written that before. Yes, I didn't. I didn't think about that in advance. It just, it, it's that's the thing that's funny about being on stage is sometimes all of it sort of swims together right in front of you, and you feed the energy of the audience. Like that, ener the audience was so gracious and so like invested that I felt like, well, here's a place where I didn't think about this in advance, but this is something that that needs to be said. And I don't, I didn't want my son to live a life where he had to lie about who he was. I wanted him to feel like, you know, he could, everything was available to him mm. and he didn't have to hide it at all. And I, and I, it's so, it's liberating to be able to say that to a whole group of people. It's liberating for him that we live in, in a town where that's acceptable and that's something that can happen. Okay. Was he in attendance that night? He was not. Um, I told him that I was going to talk about him, but I didn't. And I asked him if, you know, I said, you're free to come if you want to. And he was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep, yeah, he, he, he noped out of that one. He had more fabulous things yes, to do. Yes, he did. He was, he was probably high kicking across the kitchen at the time, <laughs> twerking his sister across the room. But um, <laughs> he... He knows that I talked about it, and and I, I did get his permission. I wanted to make sure it was okay with him, you know, to discuss it and make sure that he he felt comfortable with. I mean, it's really that's a weird thing. Any any point, what point would your mother have come to you and said, "Hey, I want to talk about your adolescence <laughs> to a group of three hundred people"? <laughs> so I found it very gracious that he was willing to hear me out on that and say okay, and I respected his boundary of I don't want to be present for that. Mm -hmm. So. So maybe that will segue into a, a more generalized discussion about um, cre looking at the stories, like I, I think I asked you, Barbara, uh, that happen in your life and deciding that this is something I, I want to talk about. For some of you, uh, this seems really spontaneous, um, like Carl, some of you, uh, like Sarah, it seems like you, you're thinking about these ahead of time and you're very sort of uh, like you have a beginning, a middle of an end and an end to your story. You're very um, more, much more like I would approach writing uh, the fiction that I never do anything with. Um, <laughs> you got to come to speak easy yeah, and yeah, tell yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, you really do. Uh, so I have that too. <laughs> So I want to talk about Sarah. Actually, I, I just she has so many great stories to tell. I I think she has an embarrassment of riches from uh, wonderful and horrible life experiences that she can share. Um, and and my life is is bland, but I find that I can sort of fake my way through it into making it into something by drawing attention to the minutia. Often is sort of something that I do. Is like I'll just hyper focus in, like because I mean my story is about like my son going to sleep and me going to sleep, and it's like on the face of it, pretty boring stuff, but if you can just draw out exactly what the pillow is made of in a funny way, somehow you can make it interesting. So like for some people, I think they just draw on their wonderful and horrible experiences. But, but for me, I, you know, I just, I just try to make something out of what I've got. I think a lot of people, um, 
do not look at their life as something that is enjoyable and an adventure. And so, you know, I'm like, oh, I grew up in the Midwest. I was married. I'm divorced. Blah, blah, blah. How boring. And then you find these pockets like what has happened or what you've witnessed. And you're like, wait, I've had a pretty kick you know what? Life. I've, I didn't say it. I had some great experiences. And, and I think that's what people relate to because, you know, we're always wanting to be like Mother Teresa, the big thing. And I think it's the fact that the little things are what make you. And every day you bump into something that is interesting and, you know, just smiling at somebody. So you don't know. And it sounds a little like, woo Pollyanna. And I'm not because I'm really pretty caustic. But um, I do think that that's how you <laughs> I am. Yes. But, you know, I think that that's that's where that comes from, because we we think we're boring. Like, you know, you said you're boring. But if you really look at the experiences you have, you're not. Well, you know, what's interesting is like one of my favorite stories about Sarah is she she accidentally, well, somebody accidentally spit a loogie on her from a really far distance. And that could be just the end of a story is, hey, guys, you'll never guess what happened. Some guy was leaning over a water tower and spit a loogie. But she crafted this whole 10 minute story about it. And it was just phenomenal. And it had you like at the edge of your seat. And you knew the whole time this loogie was going to hit her. You just didn't know how and where. And <laughs> So, I mean, Out of all simple... the words that I thought you might use here, Lugie, not that really radio one that, friendly. That, that, I am no, I'm not offended. I got to talk to the FCC, but <laughs> I'm oh, sure it's on their list. <laughs> yeah. So, um, expectorate. Actually, one of the things that you said in in a, in a previous story, I don't think it was this one, Sarah, was that um, you went on a, I think, a date with somebody, and you thought, okay, you're not going to waste my time because I always get to tell these stories live, right? <laughs> and as sort of this, uh, you, so how often does I didn't it happen? Know you knew that story. <laughs> oh, I know that story. I do my homework. Am I allowed to talk about Jimmy Whip it out? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Barbara, another yeah. interesting. <laughs> I went to school with him. <laughs> But in another story, you mentioned that uh, uh, you you know that you're going to have this ability to talk about someone. So my question for, for you, Sarah, and then for all of you is, how often are you in an experience but then are taken out and you think, oh, I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to tell about this? I, I had that experience just today, actually, and I have a hard time sometimes. Sometimes I think I stick it out with really crappy people long enough to get a good story out of it, mm -hmm. and I feel like I really am dragging this out. I, I hate this moment. I hate this experience. I can't stand this person, but I cannot wait to tell this story. And I, and maybe that's not the best that the experience. Life. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> the experience you're describing isn't right now. No. No. no okay. No. 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 I hate you, people. She's going to be edited out. I'm a former public uh, speaking instructor, and one of the things, like for me, when telling stories, I, like you're saying, uh, you know, are you telling someone else a story, or are you are you capturing the story to use against them later, or for laughs? Um, but when I would work with students, what I would always have people do is try to, um, visualize their story as they're telling it. So, so have them live it as they're telling it. And so you see the delight in their eyes and their delivery and even like the tone and, and tenor of their voice as they're living the story as they're telling it. So, so boring public speaking, uh, 
speeches like a how-to speech or persuasive speech they come alive when people are sort of in the moment I mean I'm an I'm an improviser uh, by love so I like to be in that moment of innovation and uh, creativity when it all comes together but but I do think when people kind of click that switch over and they delight in the telling in their own mind and they see it I mean I, I think you can tell the difference when someone is reliving or uh, and I think like what Sarah said about that line that came forward to her that was the moment of of uh, inspiration and, and that shared uh, experience and, and, and delightful things happen in those moments real real uh, like you said real vulnerability the other thing is with the loose theme you think I like last month I'm like oh I don't have a story that fits this and I'm like wait a minute yes I do so you start to remember things either from a long time ago or recently and it makes you you know step back and go whoa I did have an experience that fits into the nick of time I had three actually but you know there's just t things life goes by so fast unless you're one of those people that can remember every moment um, you forget about things that have happened to you. And then I think that's how you relate to the audience because there is that common theme or common experience. Mm -hmm. One of the things I love so much about Speakeasy is we have like some extremely polished tellers um, who are like rehearsed in word for word. Occasionally we'll have. But some of my very favorites are people that are fairly horrible at telling stories, but it's from their life. It's a real thing that happened to them, and they were moved, and they get up there, and they share it. Sometimes there'll be like a two-minute story. They'll be like, and then this happened, and that, and then this, and then they're, they're done. And it's always so wonderful to get that slice of life, that intimate connection from somebody that you don't know, no matter how well they tell it or not, because it is a true story told in the, in the context of a, a, a caring audience. Mm-hmm. My final question for you then is when you want to talk to somebody and suggest that they do it, what are the the ways that you tell them this is for you, this is something you should try, this is something that will affect you, change you, help you? Don't come unless you want to come. I'm not going to convince anybody to come to the event. They will come and find the event and they'll feel it in themselves because that spirit is alive with storytelling and with this event. So the ones who come are the ones who truly want to be there. Right. Or the people who get in trouble all the time for talking. You know, always those are the people who have <laughs> stories to tell. <laughs> this is where you should go do it. Okay. It's a two phase. You just tell them you should come. It's amazing. It's one of the greatest events. And then after they come, you say, you should tell. And that's pretty much it. That's pretty much why I bring someone and then I'll go, you've got great stories. Get up there and tell them. Don't be afraid. You know, I'll tell you afterwards if it was really st stupid. <laughs> But usually it's not. <laughs> it's just a place of community. And I think there's, you know, with all the crazy social media, it's a place where people can come together and just be real. And so, like I think Jillian said, the spirit is alive and people will come. And Jillian sets and that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She sets that. That lady right there. Absolutely. Yes. Hip, hip, hooray. Oh, I don't know what to say. I'm rendered <laughs> speechless here. We're going to carry you out. Yeah, right? Carry me on your shoulders. I well, appreciate it. I think what you'll have to do now is is go buy two items uh, at Kroger or Aldi or wherever you were. Uh, Yay, Aldi. Such yeah, a Aldi. range there. Yeah. And, and, and maybe what else we'll, do they have? Uh, that's all they have at Aldi. Just tampons. Tampons two and items. pairs. Yes. Um, it's all storyteller needs. That's why I've stopped shopping there. Well, the, the spirit, let me just say one more thing about the spirit that, that's allowing collaboration to happen within mm. the community. We collaborate with um, the, 
the comedians, the improvers. Um, so we've become friends and we uh, network with each other. We support each other. Some of our favorite storytellers are actually comedians because there's such a, um, a cross pollination. Ooh, big, big words. Um, <laughs> there's, uh, you know, just it's a perfect cohesion between the two worlds. And they come to our events because they love to feel loved. We're usually at their events. They <laughs> Yeah, they get beat they, up on yeah, their Yeah, a little bit. And they don't always, they don't always <laughs> do a funny story. No, because that's true. Yeah. No. Comedians come and tell a sad story. Sometimes, yeah. But it, it's great. And we have Called so many... the clown effect. The clown effect. <laughs> we have so many wonderful things that are, are, are on tap for us this summer. We're doing some video projects. All of them are grassroots. We're using our smartphones. And we're interviewing people, and we're gonna, you know, set those up on our website. If you don't mind us plugging, no, I, I definitely want to do that. Okay, it's speakeasycbus.com, and you can hear audio and you can see videos of all of our events. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative. <laughs>